Welcome to the Explore the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. This is the Explore the Circular Economy podcast, where we discuss how to move away from a linear take-make-waste economy to one that designs out waste and pollution, keeps products and materials in use, and regenerates natural systems. A circular economy. My name is Laura, and I am the host of this podcast. In today's episode, we focus on how the circular economy can tackle large-scale global challenges such as climate change. My colleague Joss, the executive lead of the institutions, governments and cities team at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, will speak to Nigel Topping, the COP26 UK government's high-level climate action champion, about what needs to happen to be able to meet the Paris Agreement targets and bring each sector on the right pathway to achieve a zero-carbon economy. My colleague Seb Egerton-Reed, our learning program's lead, and myself will also answer some of the most frequently asked questions around the circular economy. Just kicked off the conversation by asking Nigel what a COP26 high-level climate action champion means. Nigel, thanks very much for joining us. Maybe we can start by trying to elucidate what a high-level champion for climate action actually is. Well, thanks. It's lovely to join you. Um, the, the, the role of high-level climate action champion was created in Paris by the parties to the United Nations Climate Convention. Because um, in Paris, as well as creating the Paris Agreement, which says what nation states have to do, um, submit a plan and ratchet it every five years um, uh, with the view to the 1.5 degree target, they also recognise that it's going to be impossible to get to those net zero targets without what they call non-state actors, businesses, investors, cities, regions, universities, citizens. So the role of a high-level climate action champion is to work with everyone who's not a nation state who's a party to the convention to um, mobilize, to drive up ambition, to accelerate action, and then to, to use that momentum to help countries go faster, what, what we call the ambition loop. So the faster that businesses and cities go, the easier it is for governments to have bold policy. And of course, as governments lift the floor, then everyone else can go faster. So we go faster and faster towards zero. So non-state actors, of which the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is one, and we recently joined the Marrakesh Partnership, which is the vehicle that helps bring those views to the table. Uh, have you seen recently, and in the run-up to COP26, an increased importance given to circular economy solutions as a powerful contribution to climate change mitigation? First of all, thank you for joining the, the Marrakesh Partnership. It was named after the, 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 the COP that after Paris, which was held in Morocco. And as you say, it's the, it's the global coalition of organisations working towards zero. So it's great to have um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation in there. Um, and I would say that in the five years since Paris, we've seen an absolute sea change in awareness of the centrality of the circular economy to getting to the zero carbon economy. And, and you know, your work at the Foundation has been absolutely central to that. I think there's been a sort of gradual maturity of really focusing on energy, so a big focus on renewables, and gradually realising that the, the economics are, are with us, not against us as costs keep gone down, then turning to transport. You know, we see so much more about electrification of transport. But in the last few years, it, in, in amongst those really focusing on climate, there's been a real awakening of the centrality of the material economy, not just the energy economy, um, and within that, a realisation that we can't get to zero carbon materials without um, circularising 
the, the materials bit of our economy. But you know, I know the research you've done says maybe over 50%. Of it. No one's arguing that it's somewhere between 40 and 60% of the puzzle when it comes to cement, steel, plastics, etc. Is, is circularity. So yeah, that, and that, that's very different from five years ago, I think. And we also see a lot of policy making around this topic. And of course, policy makers can give visibility for investors, which is absolutely key. This is why the interface between the private and the public sector is so important, which brings me to have a look at the, the national side of things. And uh, countries are putting national roadmaps on the table. One of them is Chile, and you work alongside Gonzalo Munoz, who was the COP25 high-level champion, who's from Chile. And I know that you're very keen to bring the global south to the discussion. So what's your plan in order to give those countries more visibility at COP26? First of all, he's still the COP25 champion. The, the, the role runs for two COPs, so Gonzalo and I are working together. Um, and, and, you know, and he's a real champion of, you know, obviously the B Corp movement and the circularity in his work. So we're trying to do a couple of things. The first is um, trying to bring more Global South partners into the Marrakesh partnership. So, um, you know, that's, a, that's an open invitation to um, civil society organizations working with businesses, um, investors, cities from the Global South to get in touch and get involved. So we're reaching out. We're, we're engaging a lot more. Um, I had a dialogue with a group of Southeast Asian partners um, just a couple of weeks ago. Gonzalo, of course, has a very good network in, the, in, in Latin America, um, and we're bringing more of those in. And we're actively um, working now in Africa and Southeast Asia to both engage more virtually now, but also to bring more partners into the Marrakesh partnership. And, and in particular, we're focusing on Africa because, as you know, this is an annual cycle that the multilateral system goes through. I mean, Paris and Glasgow are at high points because of this five-year cycle, but the next COP after Glasgow will be in Africa. So we're particularly keen, given um, the, the, the role of Africa as presidency of COP27, I will then work with, a, with, a, with an African um, climate action champion. We're particularly keen to build those relationships. Um, and, and we're also, um, you know, we've launched a big initiative on mitigation, but we're um, going to be launching a big campaign on resilience um, which is relevant to everybody, but particularly relevant to the most vulnerable countries, um, the majority of whom are in the global south, of course. And at company level, companies do have climate ambitions that they published. They also, for a growing part of them, have circular economy strategies, and they don't necessarily make the link between the two, when actually it would be helpful for them to understand to what extent their circular economy strategy also helps achieve their climate ambitions. Is there a way that uh, a mechanism could be designed in order to help them make that link, therefore uh, also taking more of them on board because they're already doing things that are conducive to their objectives in a way? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think, that's kind of, I think that's happening naturally. I mean, a lot of what um, me and Gonzalo are focused on is publishing a series of um, net zero pathways for every sector, which kind of lay out the best thinking of, of the McCarthy Foundation and all the partners in the Americas Partnership around how do we get to zero in steel, in cement, etc. So, of course, where, where relevant, there's a big, so in those two sectors, for example, there's, there's, there's a big arrow saying, you know, apply circularity here. Um, so, I, I, think, I think that I think we're in, a, we're in a convergence phase. I think sometimes in the past, circular, the circular economy has been talked about as though it was the solution to everything. And, 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 the, and, and climate has been talked about as though 
didn't connect with circular economy. So both of those narratives, I think, have been um, have needed to come together to demonstrate that you don't get to zero without circularity, and that circularity isn't the, isn't the whole solution. It's a big contributor to the to, to the solution. So I think through the pathways, um, uh, which we're pointing everybody to, and they'll be published in October, November, and then of course we're 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 working very hard to get every company in the world to commit to zero before 2050 through this race to zero initiative which Gonzalo and I launched which um, already has about a thousand companies and 500 cities and, uh, and, and and universities and investors I think about a third of the world's population uh, five trillion dollars of assets um, already in and then a lot more coming between now um, and the Paris anniversary so hopefully those numbers will always significantly increase by then. And a final question Nigel as you look forward to COP26 just over a year from now what outcome would satisfy you or would make you feel that uh, the job has been done well? Well, for me, my main focus is on um, getting to COP with a very clear sense that in the majority of sectors in the global economy, so across transport, materials, um, power, the built environment and food and agriculture, we have achieved what you might think of as a sort of a breakthrough point when when more than 20% of the main actors are committed to and on track to um, zero carbon economy before 2050. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we this, this is an inexact science, but we know that roughly if, once you get 20% of the system on, on, on track, um, you, you, you're on the exponential part of the S-curve and everybody tends to follow. Um, and that's, um, I think, one of the things we're really trying to do now is tell that story of exponential change because we know that's the way that every single industrial disruption has, that's ever happened has gone through an S-curve. So a lot of the, every time I hear a narrative which is linear, which is, oh, we're only at 4% EV penetration, for example, I sort of I get overexcited and jump up and down and say, yes, but we were at 2% 18 months ago. So if we're doubling every 18 months, You know, we go 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, boom, it's game over within this decade. And we're starting to see those exponentials kick in across all the major sectors. So my biggest desire for COP26 in Glasgow was that the nations of the world and the investors of the world and the CEOs of the world and the citizens of the world all see that that transition has become inevitable and decide to get on board so that by the time we get to 2030, We're, you know, we have halved emissions. We're well on the way to implementing the circular economy um, and to creating a world which is much better for the generations to come. Well, we're certainly very much looking forward to working with you and your team on that journey. Nigel Topping, thanks very much for joining us today. That was Nigel Topping, the UK's COP26 high-level climate action champion, which, by the way, the COP26 is due to happen in Glasgow in November 2021. Now, I am still joined by Seb here in the studio. Both Seb and I work in the learning team here at the foundation. And one of the things that we do is teach and get people excited about the concept of a circular economy, hopefully. You're now balancing a lot of things on your lap, Laura. I hope you can handle this for the next, uh, uh, when we get well, to the end of the show. I don't, I don't know, let's see, let's see. Um, but basically, uh, what, because we do this, we get a lot of questions every single time we explain the concept. And so what we've done is we've tried to put some of them in this jar, in this glass container, and we are going to hopefully answer as many as possible. Your question, and I say your question, I mean you, the viewer, may be about to get answered. Maybe. 
And if we don't, then just put it in the chat, please. So, Seb, what role does consumer behavior play in the circular economy model? So, uh, many people focus on consumer behavior as a kind of key driver of change. The challenge there is that um, most of the changes that we as consumers can actually make tend to be very much end of pipe because most waste or most challenges that we face in our economy are really just sort of the design stage of whatever product or service we're using. Um, so consumers, the actions consumers can take, whether that's purchasing decisions or even if it's um, you know recycling more or cleaning up beaches, tend to be uh, limited in terms of effect, focused on the end of pipe, which doesn't mean they're not valuable or they're not good things to do. Um, but we're the foundation have focused the circular economy very much on how do we drive that system level change starting the design phase. And I think it links a little bit to what Nigel Topping was saying. How do we get to that kind of exponential moment where sectors and everything is kind of working together? Because, uh, and how do we give consumers just good choices? And I guess also it is quite easy to just uh, blame the consumers as individuals for all the problems that we're facing instead of understanding the underlying system that is the one uh, currently pro like encouraging all this or like making them even bigger. You can feel a bit sorry for consumers sometimes, can't you? When you, when you hear some of the meta-narratives we have in our society, almost it's your fault, you're not recycling enough. But the, the question never asked, but what was, that, what was the intention of that product or that thing? when it was designed in the first place. And what can you actually do? Um, so, you know, I agree. Like, it's, we're almost a bit harsh on consumers in the way we talk about it. Let's design things right to start to the, at the beginning um, so they're designed deliberately to be, uh, well, valorized and utilized uh, for as long as possible and then in their, after their initial life. So after all, we are all consumers. So for the people watching us at home, what, what would you recommend? I would say, actually, are we all consumers? Because we don't really consume our products, do we? I don't consume this jumper. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we consume food. We're really users, and that's kind of the mindset of uh, the circle economy, this sort of transition from thinking about ourselves as users of things, because that's what's actually happening. And the problem when you think about yourself as a consumer is that if you, you haven't consumed the shirts, what happens to it after you've after you've finished? Well, if you're a user, there's an implication that there has to be some plan for how that material is reutilized. Um, but there are there are things that um, our customers can do, and we've we were looking earlier at some of the examples of sectors of reuse and plastic packaging and resale and fashion, where there are some interesting choices you can make already and some interesting business propositions um, that, that are having an impact and are growing. Okay, so I think it's time to move to a second question. The drama of this is palpable in the studio. I hope it's coming across to the on the cameras. <laughs> Does the circular economy contribute to economic growth? It's a good question. I guess it's partly what we were again what we were discussing through. And if you dive into those COVID nineteen papers, um, it's a strong theme um, there. There's lots of reports and data and research that shows circular economy delivers growth that benefits business, society, and environment. And of course. There's a whole host of kind of nuance to that question, like what are you focused on growing? Um, maybe Circle Economy doesn't speak to the necessarily always to the kind of quarter by quarter sales growth that drives many businesses today because it tends to be a model that where you invest and then you deliver value over a much longer period of time. Um, GDP is a very common measure of growth that is criticized from a whole like various range of angles. 
But as we kind of face these questions of what do we invest in and how do we um, grow our economies after the con contraction kind of caused by um, the sort of the pandemic that we've been living through, the circular economy is a very interesting proposition for kind of better growth. What are we, what kinds of uh, economic activities are we trying to drive and uh, what kind of growth do we want? And GDP, for people who might not know what this means, is the gross domestic product, which is the, market, the added market value of all the products and goods, uh, products and services, sorry, produced in a country in one year. And Spoken like a true economist, <laughs> Lara. Well, I hope my professors would be proud of me. <laughs> but um, coming back to something you've just said. And just on GDP, the founder of GDP quite explicitly said, it's a really useful measure, but not if you're trying to compare between countries. And I guess we know how that's turned out. Exactly. And it's, it's very limiting in terms of an indicator. And that's why we need to redefine the goal that we're using and even re redefine what economic growth is and how we measure it. Because basically, if that's going to be like the major indicator that we are achieving and in a way like uh, comparing countries with, it, it has to be about something else. It has to be about building a better uh, planet and a better life for everyone, which is not something that GDP currently accounts for. I think we have time for one more question, Seb. Look at all those unanswered questions in the jar. It's almost like we're going to have to do this again in another future show. We'll have to find 10 minutes at the end to do some FAQs. I think we will need to do more than one episode, Seb. And this one is a very common one that we get all the time, and it's how does sustainability relate to the circular economy? Yeah, so sustainability is a very broad term. It's used to talk about a lot of different things, and there are a lot of great actions that have been taken um, uh, under the banner of sustainability. We, uh, but equally, what we define, the circular economy, I think, sustainability, I think, talks more about, for me, always talks more about outcome. Of course, we want to sustain whatever we're doing. Circular economy is a clear vision and goal and a clear alternative to the existing system and speaks about the system versus, um, you know, very often what we attach to sustainability is this kind of consumer behavior change, individual actions, guilt, sometimes um, guilt for organizations and companies and individuals. Um, Michael Browngart has this kind of fa uh, famous story that I always like to, well, he's, he's, he told this in a TEDx talk, so it's available for anyone to see. But he always says, well, if you asked um, how your relationship was going and you said sustainable, you would say, oh dear, I'm so sorry to hear that because really we're trying to achieve more good and not just less bad. And we need to do that by looking at the whole system and we need a clear vision of where we're trying to get to. And that's what the circular economy kind of answers. Um, so we define the circular economy as quite distinct from sustainability. Does that mean that, for example, for companies, we know it's quite common that companies have sustainability, sustainability departments. How would we go about this with a circular economy? Would you create a circular economy department in each company? Very often, um, it, the circular economy is driven in the sustainability department and companies because those departments often look out across the organization. Companies do it in different ways. Um, so some companies have kind of circular economy leads or circular economy leads for strategies. What we're most interested in, I think, is the idea of a circular economy becoming pervasive at every level of an organization, starting actually at the top. Um, so the thinking, the approach, the principles and the mindset to be embedded across an organization versus this notion that it kind of becomes another, another department. In some ways, that's the challenge with sustainability departments is they often sit in their individual box. Circular economy needs to be embedded in your strategy, in your core strategies and organization.
This has been all for this episode of the Explore the Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, share or comment wherever you are listening to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Explore the Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.